Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Smattering, where we ask the important questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall, the voice of the people, Jeff Santoro, is here with me. Hey, man. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm, I'm good. Um, if you bring up the Mets, I, I won't do anything. I'll just... No, I'm going to be a good... I'll I'm going to be a gracious series winner, and I'm not going to talk about the fact that the Mets took four out of five from the Braves and opened up a six-and-a-half game lead. I won't talk about that. I, I appreciate your benevolence. You're just a, just a good guy. Uh, you and I were talking, and we realized before we get to our question for this show that we're going we're gonna to ask, and we're also going to answer this one, too. This is one I can actually answer. Um, we had a realization that like, we did the first couple episodes of the podcast, but didn't really share how people can get in touch with us. And I, I think right now we're getting a lot of people yeah. from Twitter that follow us there and that kind of thing. But we have, we have social media we accounts, do. right? We do. Um, if anyone wants to follow the show on Twitter, it's at Smattering Show. So nice and easy to remember. And then uh, Jason's at The Smattering and I'm at Market Musician. So if you, but if you find the show, you'll, you'll easily find our accounts. Um, and then we also do have an email address if anyone wants to hit us up old school style. Um, and that email is thesmatteringshow at gmail.com. So any one of those works, if anyone wants to reach out. And I think, Jason, what we're hoping is that we'll get feedback just generally, but also since this is going to be a question-asking-based show, I think it'd be great if some of the early listeners um, reached out with questions they want answered. Uh, a couple people already did that, which is great, and we're going to incorporate those ideas into future shows. Um, just the good ones, no, not the, the crappy the, the ones. the terrible questions we're, we're ignoring. We, have all the, we already have all the crappy right, questions. That's our job, right, Jack? <laughs> we're, we're hoping yeah. to crowdsource the good questions. There you go. Send us the good ones, people. Yeah, don't forget, um, it helps us, too, to rate the show. Like All like the algo stuff that gives us better stuff. If we're not sucking, tell your, your, your podcast app that we're not sucking. That's, that's very helpful. All right, Jeff, let's get to what's our What's our question? What's our question today? All right, so we wanted to dive into something a little bit more newsworthy. And, uh, you know, all of the talk recently has been about inflation and, and what's going on in the economy. So the question is, we, we've seen rising interest rates, right? That's that's obvious. It's It's been happening every time the Fed has a meeting, they, they raise the rates, it seems like. So the question is, what does rising interest rates mean for stocks from here on. Yes, this is actually one that I've been thinking about for a long t- a long time. Um, since this is a podcast, I can't do a screen share. Um, but if you were to find a visual representation of like the ten year treasury, the if you were to look going back to the beginning, if you look at if you were to look at a chart showing what the ten year rate was in the early nineteen eighties 
Um, we're basically 40 years into this period of interest rates right. declining. It's just remarkable how interest rates have declined. Now, how does that tie to stocks? Again, because our question, what, do rising, what does interest, rising interest rates mean to stocks from here? Essentially, over that four-decade period, um, stocks have generated almost 10% in CAGR, compounded annual growth rate, right? Um, an incredible 40-year 40 40 year run. Um, so how, how do the two relate? I think we have to start there because you think about, this is, I think, a little bit one of our kind of toolkit episodes, Jeff. We talked about that yeah. in the intro where we want to talk about how investors think you should think about cash and stocks and bonds and real estate and private investments and owning your own business and all of those different things as tools, your job, right, your source of income, as, as different tools in your wealth-creating toolkit. And stocks and bonds are like two of the most common that are easily accessible to most people. Um, so much so that generally it's, the idea is that the vast majority of, of people's wealth, invested wealth, generally should be in like some mix of stocks and bonds, right? That's generally the idea because anybody can, can invest in them if you have some money, right? So the thing is that the debt market is so much larger than the stock market, right? The stock market dominates the news, but the global debt market's like 10 times the size of the global stock market. Um, so, but at, at the end of the day, there's overlap in the capital that they're competing right. for. Right. And that, that capital, you so can, you can think of, of that th capital as the money you have to invest and in where you decide to put it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So you think about particularly the past couple of decades, right? Really from, say, 2004 through, you know, through the, the coronavirus crisis, ultra low, below historical average interest rates, right? So what that means is that looking at it from a risk-adjusted rate of return, because again, using that 10 years, like the, those, those federal, those federal tr the treasuries is like the, the risk-free way to invest. You're gonna get your capital back, you're gonna get the yield. At some point, the return is so low that you have to start increasing your risk pool. Right, so looking at it from a risk-adjusted basis, it made growth stocks far more attractive, right? Because again, you 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 know what you're going to get from from bonds, and if the returns on the yields are very very low, and you're looking your threshold, your your needs for income for capital growth, wealth creation are above what you're going to get in those yields. You have to increase your risk to get your yields, right? To get your returns that right. you want. So a way that I think of it, and you can tell me if this is the right way of thinking of it, is think of deciding where to put your money. If you decide between something super safe, like the 10-year yield, right? Or the 10-year bond, or something less safe, stocks, the, the equilibrium between those two things, it, they're connected, Right. So as your ability to make money on the super safe thing goes down because of lower interest rates, it drives people into stocks to make up that lost yield from the low interest rate safe thing. 
Is that a, is that a way to kind of phrase it? Right. You're, you're basically, you're having to pay too much for the safety when right. yields are down. So you're willing to pay a little more to risk on simply to get to your, your return goals. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Just, just, I think this, this actually, this will really describe it really well is if you go back to like 2010, this is a little bit of a tough period because this is like kind of right after the low point of the um, global recession. The S&P 500 since then, so a dozen and a half years, has generated 11% in total return right. in Kager, right? 11%. So going back to 1980, it's gotten even better. And again, coming out of the global financial crisis, interest rates were very, very low right? Because the Fed had cut rates, the global um, um, banks had cut rates, all the um, central banks around the world had cut rates, and they've continued to fall since until very, very recently, right? So again, you see a direct correlation between low rates in a falling environment and the performance of, of equities, right? It's just, it's, it's right there. It's right there in your face. So what does that mean going forward? Well, all right, so I want to be kind of careful. Historically, historically, like you look at the the 1970s, um, was a rising interest rate environment. Stocks were terrible for a decade, right, for terrible. So we know that, right? So we know that historically in rising rate environments, it has not been great for, for equities. Because the premium that investors have been willing to pay to take on more risk in order to capture adequate returns is lower when you can lock in a higher yield in, in bonds, whether it's, again, super safe treasuries or, or maybe even, because you got to remember, there's, there's super safe treasuries, there's investment grade Apple and Johnson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's what they call junk right. bonds, right? So these are the, the more speculative. They're still safer than stocks as a category in terms of risk of permanent loss of capital because you're ahead of stocks in the bankruptcy line, in the default line, right? So, so they get called junk bonds, but they're still safer than stocks, right? So there are ways to risk on in bonds and capture higher yield before you even still have to look at equities, right? So... You think about it on that waterfall, and we've seen historically that's, that's the challenge. Now, Jeff, with that said, this is not the same, you know, you think about the tech companies of not the 1970s, they were IBM and, and Intel, and they were, they were literally completely making stuff, right? And the tech companies of today that are becoming dominant are Amazon and Microsoft and CrowdStrike and these companies that are, are I mean, they're software right. companies, right? Adobe. Yeah, there's real companies making stuff, but every company is having to become a tech company. And we have digital transformation, which is like a $600 billion a year global thing that's growing at 20% a year. So I, I point that out, Jeff, because I think it's important to 
Remember that this is in the 1970s, and, and I, I hate saying this time it's different because that's the stupidest thing to say as an investor, um, but there are aspects that are different, right? And it's important to consider, to consider those yeah, things. Yeah, I think the, the whole this time is different thing, you're right, right, We're the famous last words, but I think just having that in your head that this isn't the 1970s for all the reasons you mentioned, and also, um, you know, the economy, I would say right now, even with the rising interest rates, feels very different than the other sort of bumpy economic times we've we've experienced even recently, right? You know, the, all the talk about recession that we're seeing right now, this this doesn't feel very recessionary like it did in the great financial crisis, for example, right? When, you know, jobs are at, you know, yeah. near all-time highs or at all-time highs right now. So, um it, it's different right off the bat, just in the sense that the economy is in a different spot. Um, so it's worth just kind of knowing the historical context, but then also being open to the idea that it could be a little different this time. I think it's a good reminder, too, that um, I can't remember who said it first or where I read it first, but the thing about statistics and quoting these numbers is that if you torture the numbers enough, you can get it to say whatever you want, Right. Um, and, and the thing about looking at a period like the 1970s, there were also, I don't know, two or maybe three um, 20% plus market declines in, 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 that, in that decade. Um, and, and there was one 40% drop, right? So if you arbitrarily pick a beginning and an ending period, it's easy to find these periods that were terrible. But you could also say that from 1975 to 1980 was an incredible time to invest. And, and I think that, to me, what that's a reminder is that the volatility of stocks, and I think that's one of the things that investors can really do, is find a way to think about them in your toolkit as those long-term investments, right? And align your investments with your goals and with stocks, that's where like dollar cost averaging comes into play. That's where looking at like the current environment where the market's still down 16, 17% and was down 22 or 23% at one point. Historically, we know those are always times to buy stocks as long as you're going to hold for five plus years, right? So thinking about it from that perspective, um, and then there's stocks and then there's the companies that you own, right? So those two things aren't always, always the truth. They're not always the right. same thing. And I think, you know, you said it, but just to kind of bring it back to ground level for everyone, like what what does rising interest rates mean for stocks from here? I think the question people are asking in their head is, well, what does that mean for me, right? What what do I do yeah. differently or what do I keep doing the same in this new higher interest rate environment? And I think you nailed it, right? So it's, it's the dial, the idea of dollar cost averaging to some degree, whether it's weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever you do. So that business X is really strong and I believe in it and I have high conviction and I'm going to buy it at all different price points because, yeah, the market's higher now than it was a month ago. We've had a nice little turnaround here. It could still go the other direction and drop again. And yeah. I mean, it will at some point. I mean, it could soon, I guess is my <laughs> point, right? Yes, at some point it will go down yeah, again. I realize course. that. But, um, but if you're just buying sort of regularly all throughout – Right, you're going to get it at all different times, um, you know. And I'm reminded of a story of a friend of mine uh, who's older than us who bought Cisco. Literally, if you look at the chart of Cisco in the early 2000s, bought it 
right at the top, one time, and then was convinced because it plummeted and has not come back to that level since. Even still, ha- still hasn't recovered. Now that person, even though I've tried to tell them otherwise, is convinced the stock market is rigged against them and is a, it's a gambling machine. But that's exactly why you want to be buying at different price points. Because if that person had bought the next year, the next year, the next year, or the next month, whatever, right now they'd be sitting on probably a decent return, at least on some of those lower cost bases. So, you know, any one point in time, you could be a genius or an idiot. Um, so, but that's a lot to, to gamble on if you're just going to pick one spot and buy. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing. And I, I want to add a couple of other caveats to that too, is that, you know, with, with rare exception, um, even during those periods where I, th- I think here's, maybe, let me just kind of put a bow on this. I think that 12, 13, 14% CAGR that we've saw from the S&P, like from the 2009 bottom through, you know, the past year or so, like expecting that going forward is, is, is crazy. Um, not just because interest rates are going up, but because it was an incredible full stop run for stocks, an incredible run for stocks. Um, so number one, I just think you have to reset your expectations, um, just generally. Um, and, and then I do think again, as much as it's, this is in the 1970s and the business world isn't the same companies get better margins. They can get better cash flows and they don't require as many workers to do the same amount of dollar output. I, I just, I still think you have to have lower expectations because it's healthier. But I, I don't think we're in this period where investors need to be moving a ton of money over to bonds where stocks are still the right tool. Right? I think that's the key is that I think stocks are still the best game in town for long-term creation of wealth for people that have long-term goals, five plus years. I, I, don't, think that's, I don't think that's even come remotely close to changing because even with the rates having come up, we're still... Historically, this is still a, a pretty cheap money right. environment. Yeah, if we get to if we get back to the point where bonds are yielding six, eight, ten, twelve percent, different story. But we're not there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we're not there. And I'm going to just go ahead and say I don't think I don't think we're going to get back there. Which means that we'll be back there in like three years. <laughs> now that you but, said you know. it, <laughs> it's going to happen. There you go. There you go. All right, Jeff. This was this was fun. This was a, this was a fun one to talk about. We're done with it, right? We talked about it. We're good. Okay. All right. Disclaimer: I'm a Braves fan, and if you've paid any attention to the past five games, you know that says a lot about me. Jeff Santoro is a man of the people, but he's a pretty meeky, mediocre saxophonist. So you don't need to be taking financial advice from us on your decisions, people. Have fun. We'll we'll see you next time. See you next time.